Chapter Thirteen of The Last of the Mohicans, a narrative of seventeen fifty seven by James Fenimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter Thirteen. Quote, I'll seek a readier path. Unquote. By Purnell. The route taken by Hawkeye lay across those sandy plains, relieved by occasional valleys and swells of land, which had been traversed by their party on the morning of the same day, with the baffled Magua for their guide. The sun had now fallen, low toward the distant mountains, and as their journey lay through the interminable forest, the heat was no longer oppressive. Their progress, in consequence, was proportionate, and long before the twilight gathered about them, they had made good many toilsome miles of their return. The hunter, like the savage whose place he filled, seemed to select among the blind signs of their wild route, with a species of instinct, seldom abating his speed, and never pausing to deliberate. A rapid and oblique glance at the moss of the trees, with an occasional upward gaze toward the setting sun, or a steady but passing look at the direction of the numerous watercourses through which he waded, were sufficient to determine his path, and remove his greatest difficulties. In the meantime, the forest began to change its hues, losing that lively green which had embellished its arches, in the graver light which is the usual precursor of the close of day. While the eyes of the sisters were endeavoring to catch glimpses through the trees of the flood of golden glory which formed a glittering halo around the sun, tinging here and there with ruby streaks, or bordering with narrow edgings of shining yellow, a mass of clouds that lay piled at no great distance above the western hills, Hawkeye turned suddenly, and pointing toward the gorgeous heavens, he spoke. "'Yonder is the signal given to man to seek his food and natural rest,' he said. "'Better and wiser would it be if he could understand the signs of nature, and take a lesson from the fowls of the air and the beast of our field. Our night, however, will soon be over, for with the moon we must be up and moving again.' I remember to have fought the Maquas hereways in the first war in which I ever drew blood from a man, and we threw up a work of blocks to keep the ravenous varmints from handling our scalps. If my marks do not fail me, we shall find the place a few rods further to our left. Without waiting for an assent, or, indeed, for any reply, the sturdy hunter moved boldly into a dense thicket of young chestnuts shoving aside the branches of the exuberant shoots, which nearly covered the ground, like a man who expected at each step to discover some object he had formerly known. The recollection of the scout did not deceive him. After penetrating through the brush, matted as it was with briars for a few hundred feet, he entered an open space that surrounded a low green hillock, which was crowned by the decayed blockhouse in question. This rude and neglected building was one of those deserted works, which, having been thrown up on an emergency, had been abandoned with the disappearance of danger, 
and was now quietly crumbling in the solitude of the forest, neglected and nearly forgotten, like the circumstances which had caused it to be reared. Such memorials of the passage and struggles of man are yet frequent throughout the broad barrier of wilderness, which once separated the hostile provinces, and form a species of ruins that are intimately associated with the recollections of colonial history, and which are in appropriate keeping with the gloomy character of the surrounding scenery. The roof of bark had long since fallen, and mingled with the soil, but the huge logs of pine, which had been hastily thrown together, still preserved their relative positions, though one angle of the work had given way under the pressure, and threatened a speedy downfall to the remainder of the rustic edifice. While Hayward and his companions hesitated to approach a building so decayed, Hawkeye and the Indians entered within the low walls, not only without fear, but with obvious interest. While the former surveyed the ruins, both internally and externally, with the curiosity of one whose recollections were reviving at each moment, Chingachgook related to his son in the language of the Delawares, and with the pride of a conqueror, the brief history of the skirmish which had been fought in his youth in that secluded spot. A strain of melancholy, however, blended with his triumph, rendering his voice, as usual, soft and musical. In the meantime, the sisters gladly dismounted, and prepared to enjoy their halt in the coolness of the evening, and in a security which they believed nothing but the beast of the forest could invade. "'Would not our resting-place have been more retired, my worthy friend?' demanded the more vigilant Duncan, perceiving that the scout had already finished his short survey. "'Had we chosen a spot less known, and one more rarely visited than this?' "'Few live who know the blockhouse was ever raised,' was the slow, amusing answer. "'Tis not often that books are made, and narratives written, of such a scrimmage as was fought between the Mohicans and Mohawks in a war of their own waging. I was then a Yonker, and went out with the Delawares, because I knowed they were a scandalized and wronged race. Forty days and forty nights did the imps crave our blood around this pile of logs, which I designed and partly reared. Being, as you'll remember, no Indian myself, but a man without a cross. The Delawares lent themselves to the work, and we made it good, ten to twenty, until our numbers were nearly equal, and then we sallied out upon the hounds, and not a man of them ever got back to tell the fate of his party. Yes, yes, I was then young, and new to the sight of blood, and not relishing the thought that creatures who had spirits like myself should lay on the naked ground to be torn asunder by beast, or to bleach in the rains. I buried the dead with my own hands under that very little hillock where you have placed yourselves. And no bad seat does it make either, though it be raised by the bones of mortal men. Hayward and the sisters arose on the instant from the grassy sepulchre, nor could the two later, notwithstanding the terrific scenes they had so recently passed through, entirely suppress an emotion of natural horror when they found themselves in such familiar contact with the grave of the dead Mohawks. 
the gray light the gloomy little area of dark grass surrounded by its border of brush beyond which the pines rose in breathing silence apparently into the very clouds and the death-like stillness of the vast forest were all in unison to deepen such a sensation they are gone and they are harmless continued hawkeye waving his hand with a melancholy smile at their manifest alarm they'll never shout the war-hoop nor strike a blow with the tomahawk again and of all those who aided in placing them where they lie chingachgook and i only are living the brothers and family of the mohican formed our war party and you see before you all that are now left of his race the eyes of the listeners involuntarily sought the forms of the indians with a compassionate interest in their desolate fortune their dark persons were still to be seen within the shadows of the blockhouse, the son listening on the relation of his father with that sort of intenseness which would be created by a narrative that redounded so much to the honor of those whose names he had long revered for their courage and savage virtues. "'I had thought the Delawares a Pacific people,' said Duncan, "'and that they never waged war in person.' trusting the defense of their hands to those very mohawks that you slew tis true in part returned the scout and yet at the bottom tis a wicked lie such a treaty was made in ages gone by through the deviltries of the dutchers who wished to disarm the natives that had the best right to the country where they had settled themselves the mohicans though 